Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it's not quite a new movie. Uh, It's a movie from last year that just so happened to win Best Picture at this year's Oscars. We are covering Coda, which we kind of let slide by back when it first came out. Uh, But since it won Best Picture, we figured we should probably give it another look. And joining me is Ryan Pack from Soundtrack Your Life. We have a great conversation coming up. We get into everything we liked, everything we didn't like about Coda. But, uh, you know, we talk about all of it. So... A lot of good stuff coming up, lots of puzzle pieces, and before we get to that, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, I'm recording this, it's April 5th, Uh, I've had more downloads in April than I had all of last month. I I don't understand how that happens. Um, I appreciate that there are people out there maybe just finding the show for the first time, maybe going back and downloading lots of old episodes. If you're out there, you're listening, you enjoy the show, thank you so much for being here. Make sure you're subscribed, so that way you'll get all the new episodes as they come out. Uh, We're, of course, available on all the podcast apps. And if you like what we do here on the show, uh, rate and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can also follow us on social media, at PiecingPod. And if you want to join a fun little community of people who talk about movies, no trolls allowed, none of that shit-posting crap, Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we talk about all the movies we talk about here on the show and everything else going on in the world of movies. Uh, Last but not least, before we get to the conversation, I do want to remind you, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I combine content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, which is another movie podcast that I produce, and from my music career, because I am a music composer as well as somebody who spends hours and hours and hours of their week watching movies and podcasting about them. So uh, you can find lots of great stuff over there. It's patreon.com slash bydavidrosen. For as little as $3 a month, you get access to advanced episodes, bonus content, all kinds of fun stuff. And there's other tiers you can check out as well. So again, patreon.com slash bydavidrosen. And let's talk about Coda. All right, so joining me to talk about the little Sundance movie that won the Oscar is Ryan Pack from Soundtrack Your Life. Ryan, how's it going? Doing great. How are you? I am great. I, uh, I'm i ready to talk about the best picture winner, Coda. You know, before we get to Coda, though, uh, it is your first time on the show. Why don't you tell people a little about you and what you do? So my name is Ryan. I host Soundtrack Your Life. It's a podcast where we cover soundtracks and why they're important to us. 
So, you know, a, a soundtrack may have inspired you to do great creative work like David has, <laughs> or, you know, may have gotten you into a specific band. There's just so many different ways a soundtrack can influence your life. So that's what my podcast is about. Absolutely. And I had fun talking about Ex Machina on there just recently. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great show. And yes, yeah, soundtracks can be very influential on a person's life and can make or break movies. So, I mean, it's definitely a great uh, subject matter to talk about at length. And uh, I'm sure uh, music will come up in this conversation here about Coda. As we were just kind of joking about before uh, we hit record, I didn't love Coda the first time I watched it. I just recently rewatched it. I, I definitely liked it more the second time. How, how were you feeling about this movie leading up to the Oscars? Were you, uh, were you a big fan of it on its first release? So I probably watched it about a month ago. Okay. And I knew it was nominated for Best Picture, but I knew almost nothing about it. I think I knew that deafness and a deaf family played a part of the film. But mm. I was basically just like, let's press play and see what happens. Sure. So it was kind of interesting to watch it kind of with very little knowledge. Yeah. And so originally when I was watching it, um, it kind of confused me that it was nominated for Best Picture because it just seems to be such a familiar tale, such a kind of smaller scale story. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's also a movie that I feel like kind of exceeds kind of the familiar tropes that are introduced. Yeah. And it has a lot of, I don't want to call it subversive stuff, but it's it's a little bit richer of a story than it leads you to believe it at first, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's fair for sure. And you know, I I don't usually do this, but I I had uh, and I, I wish I wrote down who it was that compiled this little list of facts. I did not, but I I wrote down from a tweet I had seen uh, a week ago, like right after the Oscar win, uh, a couple of interesting facts about Coda as an Oscar winner. Um, obviously, first film led by deaf actors to win a best picture uh also first film to win best picture without nominations for director or editing since the 30s lowest number of nominations for a best picture winner since the 30s also the first film obviously uh released by a streaming service to win best picture which is crazy and then also first sundance film to win best picture which uh i was really surprised by that one because you know i don't know maybe the idea of like award winner, maybe it's just not Oscars that we're thinking of, but I don't know. I always think of Sundance movies as the kind of movies that do, you know, perform well at, at award shows and things like that. And I, I don't know, just a lot of interesting stuff around this movie. Whereas the movie itself, I didn't find that interesting on first watch. I was just like, eh, it's just a nice movie. Kind of like, you know, what you were kind of talking about some familiar area with, with the uh, family stuff. But you know, when it comes down to it, there's uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff about the movie itself and about its win that I think, while I still, you know, it wouldn't be towards the top of my list of the Best Picture nominees this year, uh, I, I think it's an interesting win and not necessarily a bad win. Yeah, I agree. This isn't a Green Book sort of win. Exactly. Yeah, definitely not a green book win, that's for sure. So uh, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces and we'll get into what we liked and didn't like and all that stuff along the way. Uh, but what do you have for your first piece here for Coda? Um, so I'm going to give full disclosure, I am Korean American. Mm -hmm. So my first piece is Minari. All right. So the 2020 um, Lee Isaac Chung film. I think with a lot of the family story, I think it's almost kind of like a spiritual sequel to Minari, where you have this family-run business that's struggling, 
um, you, you know, it's not, they're not immigrants, but I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, they're kind of seen as the other, even though mm -hmm. they're a white family. And there's a lot of parallels, I think, to being like from an immigrant family running a business where Ruby is heckled for like kind of the language barrier of her parents having sex. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I think a lot of people from immigrant families are used to being teased in school for, you know, their parents and how they speak because they're not, uh, because English is not their first language. Um, I think the struggle between you know, working at the family business with school and their social life. I think that's something that's also very relatable. And then even sacrificing school for the family business. Um, like, in, like with Asian Americans, I feel like, you know, they're encouraged to go to college, but I think sometimes kids are kind of forced to stay closer to home mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a family business involved. So I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the family and Minari. And I think in both films, you know, there's kind of a need to embrace the community around them for them to kind of thrive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great first piece. Um, I, I hadn't thought of it, but yeah, that, that works really well for that whole family unit. And I mean, that, you know, even though this is, you know, the movie that is identified most as being, you know, about deaf people and about music, um, I think family then would be the other main thing here and family business and being kind of uh, stuck in those responsibilities of, of being a part of the family. And yeah, I think Minari is a, a, you know, a great example of that as well. Also, speaking about soundtracks, I mean, come on, that's one of the best scores of the last few years. So good, Emil Masseri's score. But um, yeah, no, that, that, that's, a, that's a really good one. And, and I like that idea that you bring to it of it being almost like an immigrant story just without actually being immigrants. It's a different kind of like angle and different kind of family than we're used to seeing. And that makes for a really interesting story. Yeah, I mean, I had... Like, my, my parents didn't have a family business, but I grew up with a lot of kids mm -hmm. who kind of came from what I would feel like be a similar background where, you know, I was like, what are you doing after school? Like, I'm working at my parents' market or the dry cleaners or the donut shop. And, you know, I definitely feel like I've known people like that, like in that family. Yeah. Well, you know, funny enough, but before I move on to my first puzzle piece, I guess I'll bring this up. I was going to bring it up later, but uh, my best friend Q uh, had a theory as to why I didn't like coda as much the first time i watched it and it actually kind of uh speaks to that point uh because the the story of a person from like an overbearing family who expects her to be a part of their family's entire business and and kind of at their beck and call at all times for everything they do that's kind of my life and my family's record store and uh helping my parents with any and everything i mean i i'm i'm a very blessed person but uh at the same time i basically am on call around the clock for their store and everything surrounding the store and i mean there's not a better job you can have than working for your family's record store but it still can uh can be a drag at times <laughs> when it's really your 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 mind is made up for you by other people right. you know so <laughs> so it hit, might have hit a little too close to home for you. I think so. I think it, it kind of did in, in a lot of ways. So uh, I'll go on to my first piece, which is uh, actually from 2017, The Glass Castle from Destin Daniel Cretton, who uh, recently did Shang-Chi, mm -hmm. uh, based on Jeanette Wallace's memoir um, about a dysfunctional family. Uh, it's a drama basically about a uh, kind of nonconformist uh, husband and wife who 
just refuses to fit into regular society. And it's the uh, parents are Woody Harrelson and Naomi Watts. And uh, the oldest daughter is played by Brie Larson. She's who uh, the story was written by that character. And uh, she wants out of this lifestyle of just kind of uh, roaming the country and just kind of doing whatever whatever comes to the parents' mind and not really like ever settling in or, or moving on to uh, bigger and better things. And uh, it, that push-pull of family and of what's expected of you and trying to kind of forge your own way in the world but not wanting to separate yourself from your family because of your family and you, you love them. Uh, both, I think, kind of a little bit heavy-handed stories, but at the same time, they both do deal with uh, with that very uh, relatable thing, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, and I actually have a, another puzzle piece from 2017. Okay. And that is uh, Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Sure, absolutely. That's that's on my list as well, but uh, I, will, I will give that one to you. What do you got on Lady Bird? So I thought of Lady Bird immediately because when... I started to understand the story of Coda and where it was going. I tried to think of like the last best picture that was kind of just a coming of age story that was very straightforward, kind of like this film. Mm-hmm. And so immediately Lady Bird came to mind. Yeah. And I think, you know, the relationship with the mother is very similar. Um, I think also there's kind of that shame of like where she's from. She hates taking people back to her house. And I think in Lady Bird, she offhandedly tells someone like i live on the wrong side of the tracks Mm -hmm. yeah and you know um and while ruby is very like protective of her family she's also a little ashamed of like where she lives yeah yeah absolutely there's a lot of that uh not not necessarily earned shame uh around the families in, in both movies you know and I, I would say uh more so here in in coda because this family is just full of just, you know, burping and farting and grossness and just all this stuff. So I, <laughs> and all the sex stuff. And like, I, I, I could get where, um, Ruby is coming from here. Not so much Ladybird. Ladybird uh, kind of needs to suck it up and deal with the fact that her parents are pretty cool, actually. <laughs> you know, but uh, but yeah, definitely there, there's a lot between uh, these main characters and that push-pull, you know, love-hate relationship with, with, uh, with both of their families. So yeah, I, I think that's definitely uh, one worth having in this conversation. I'll go to my next one, uh, which I think is maybe an obvious one to bring up in this conversation, but from just a couple of years ago, The Sound of Metal, uh, another movie that deals with deafness and how uh, it intersects with music, which I, I guess, you know, as as a hearing person, I wouldn't really, uh, you know, think immediately to tell a story of that intersection between music and deafness. But I guess it makes a lot of sense because music is such a, a big rich part of everybody else's lives. Why wouldn't it have such a big impact on people who can't hear as well? And uh, th- there's a lot of interesting things that you like learn from both of these movies, like the, uh, the parents loving gangster rap because of the bass music shaking mm-hmm. the car. I mean, that makes so much sense, you know? And then in sound of metal, I mean, feeling those drums banging and 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 hitting through the uh the reverberations and so it makes a lot of sense how uh somebody who can't necessarily hear could still get something out of that and so there's a lot between the two movies that deal with how deaf people can still get stuff out of music yeah that's a good one i i think also just to add one other thing uh both movies 
play with sound design for, you know, emotional effect and resonance. Um, you know, obviously I'd say, you know, the most emotional moment of this movie, Coda, would be during the performance at the end when all the sound cuts out and you kind of see or hear, you know, what the parents are hearing and the fact that they're not hearing anything and kind of how difficult that would be. Um, that, that playing with, with sound and sound design and sound editing, uh, was a major thing for sound of metal as well. And so I, I think it goes to show how you kind of tell a story in this world. Right. And it's also worth bringing up that CODA, while also a musical term, is also an acronym for child of deaf adults. Right. Right. Absolutely. Which, uh, that's pretty cool. I, <laughs> I definitely like that about the movie. It's a, it's a great title. Yeah. And it's one of those like little secret things about the film where you're like, oh, they, this is like better thought out than I originally thought. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. One, one of those, uh, one of those little moments where you're like, oh, okay, maybe there's a little more going on here than I thought. So yeah, for sure. So what do you got for your next piece? So for my next piece, and this is probably my biggest critique of the movie, I'm going to go with Richard Linklater's 2003 School of Rock. Okay. So kind of the biggest issue with this movie, I think, is the choir scenes mm. and the music teacher, Mr. Villalobos, I believe mm -hmm. is his name, Mr. V. Bernardo. Bernardo. <laughs> and I know that Sean Hader, I think, is, has said in an interview that he is kind of an amalgamation of some teachers she's had, but... As like a high school, public school music teacher, he's pretty over the top. He's shaming kids in Massachusetts about mm -hmm. not being able to roll their R's. <laughs> and then he's having them learn Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye and then telling them that, I know this is what you guys think about all the time. Very strange choice. Very strange. <laughs> a lot of Marvin Gaye in this movie. Mm -hmm. Kind of weird. I mean, mm -hmm. I love Marvin Gaye. I, my first dance sure. was All I Need. Nice. At my wedding, but I am an adult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like, it's, it's the one part of the movie where I think it'll turn whether you like it or hate it. Like, if he's too much, you can't enjoy this movie. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Definitely the biggest problem with the movie are pretty much any scenes that take place in the school, I would say. Like, whether it's it's Mr. Bernardo or whether it's just how kind of... I've, a lot of people have kind of leveled the uh, Disney Channel or ABC Family criticism at this, feeling like one of those kind of made-for-TV movies. Everything in the school is where I think things kind of fall apart a little bit. Uh, everything with, with those uh, choir practice and all that stuff... Definitely where, where the problems come in. I, I like using School of Rock as the, uh, the puzzle piece for this, for, for bringing up this, because, yeah, I mean, Jack Black rules, and that's, that's kind of where, like, I think that's the good version of this, uh, whereas this is the bad version of that. Uh, but, yeah, and, and I do think that that is a really weird choice, having uh, Marvin Gaye be the song uh, that, that these kids are singing. There's it, it, definitely a lot of weird choices going on with Mr. Bernardo, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he might as well be teaching the kids, like, the doors. Yeah. You know, like, like Jack yeah. Black's character is doing. Like. Yeah, like, why not? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> well, I, I'll go with a, uh, a TV show. Um, since, since I just brought up that criticism, the whole ABC Family Disney thing, I'll go with the Freeform TV show, Switched at Birth. 
uh, which actually does kind of deal with similar CODA situation um, of mixed family with uh, some members that are hearing and some that aren't. And um, I actually watched part of this. My wife watched the show. Uh, she watched the whole thing. I didn't watch the whole show, but I saw a bunch of episodes of it. And kind of deals with the same thing, the the push-pull of family, of wanting to go out and you know make your own life and not wanting to be uh, just stuck with family the whole time and with the the struggles and issues that uh, that deaf people deal with with trying to you know go out into the world and deal with school and friends and all the things that young people deal with in college and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of the uh, a lot of the same issues being dealt with and I I don't have you know aside from having sound of metal on my puzzle piece list here, I haven't seen other, movies that deal necessarily with deaf characters and i mean i know there certainly are some but there there's none that i've either seen recently enough or at all to uh bring up here so that's really kind of like the best one that i have as like a reference point to uh those kinds of characters yeah i mean i think at this point i would have to go through marlee matlin's imdb to see what other movies i've seen that have deaf people right yeah like children of lesser god of course but there, there's not a lot of representation and that's one thing that uh you know even even if we are dealing with the uh you know hearing daughter of a deaf family here as the main character it still is some of the best representation we've had for that kind of thing in this kind of story and i think that's kind of the point of the movie and why it's so unassuming is look how easy it is to integrate a deaf family into a film yeah Absolutely. Like, it really shouldn't be that hard. But uh, what do you have uh, for your next piece? So this one is a little bit of a stretch, but um, my next piece is Mike Mills' 2005 Thumbsucker. Okay, I saw this when it came out. I don't really remember it that well. Yeah, it's a much weirder, darker coming-of-age film, but that one is set in Oregon. This one is set in Massachusetts, but... In both films, there's like a scene of like romance in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So in this film, Ruby takes, I believe his name is Nathan. Uh, it sounds right. Yeah. The one character I didn't he, write he, down his he name. He doesn't matter, really. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, you know, so she takes him out and then they jump into the, the river or that lake mm -hmm. off the cliff. And in Thumbsucker, like, I I remember that the main character has this crush on a girl and... She becomes all jaded because she gets kicked off the debate team and like they fool around in the forest and then she tells him that they're it's just a like an experiment and then mm -hmm. he basically tells her off. And I feel like they both kind of have like this discarded romance in, in the wilderness. Like I mean she kind of stays with the guy, but when she goes to college, she just goes with her friend and he's yeah. never mentioned again. Like he's just yeah. kind of there to fill some plot holes. Yeah. I guess she she got to do some things away from her family and that was basically it and and now so much for that that was just passing the time. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, Thumbsucker I I'm going to have to uh, rewatch that one of these days. Like I said, I haven't seen it since back when it came out, but I remember liking it back then. So, I'll I'll go to another piece here. Um I I I'm going to go back to uh uh, Mr. Bernardo and, and uh, trash him a little bit more. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to go with Whiplash uh, for my next puzzle piece. Of course, J.K. Simmons, uh, just incredible performance as, as uh, overbearing teacher, music teacher specifically, um, who 
just absolutely requires the utmost perfection out of out of his students and i uh, you know that uh, just a fantastic performance fantastic character uh not so much for mr bernardo but also, and we have already kind of started talking about this a little bit, but maybe part of that is because this is this is in high school, and these are high school kids, and like you really shouldn't be teaching your your students that way in high school. I mean, it's just completely insane. Everything that he does with with basically embarrassing these kids in front of the class is just uh, it's it's borderline abuse. Uh, and it's okay for college kids. Screw college kids; they can be abused by their teacher a little bit. But uh, high school kids, let's draw a line. Yeah, and even with his private sessions with Ruby, you know, he's yelling at her for being late. Like, she runs a... She was working for her parents and their fishing business. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on. Like, she's going to hearings on their behalf and interpreting things for them. Like, mm-hmm. I would assume most people would give her a pass. Yeah, seriously, a, a pass. And a little uh, borderline problematic to be yelling at a teenager in, in private. Uh <laughs> that's not cool you know so uh yeah but whiplash awesome movie um (laughs) he's like the disney channel version of jk simmons yeah there you go that's exactly right so all right what do you got next so we're gonna keep talking about him Mm, all right so this puzzle piece is paul white's 2002 film about a boy okay so it's another kind of coming of age film I mean, I guess we're just going to do a lot of coming-of-age films. I mean, come on. That's what this movie is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it also ends with a big musical number. hmm And it gets interrupted by, quote, a mentor figure, unquote. So in 2002, Marcus is singing Killing Me Softly at his school talent show. And Hugh Grant's will kind of intervenes by coming out with a guitar and kind of distracting from the fact that this kid is singing an incredibly lame song <laughs> at his talent show. Sure. And in Coda, you know, Ruby is about to just blow her addition, and then Mr. V shows up. Yeah. And somehow it's fine that he kicks off, that he kicks out the piano player. He, you know, he just gives his credentials. I'm class of 89. Yeah. So I'm just going to make this whole addition a joke. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's a uh, it's a crowd pleaser. You got to do stuff like that in crowd pleasing movies. Which is crazy because when she starts singing and she sees her parents in the balcony, which I also think is probably not okay for an audition. Probably not. When she starts, you know, singing and signing, and I guess we're just doing all spoilers in this movie, right? Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Go spoil away. You know, it it's great, right? It's such a like the endorphins just started releasing into my brain yeah yeah. you know and and it's such a kind of cliche movie moment for that for them to elevate it and to stick the landing Mm -hmm. is just is so impressive yeah i just remember watching her do that and thinking this edition will get you into any college in america (laughs) if you submitted that yeah absolutely i mean I, I I would hope so. I would hope so because you know, what? Why wouldn't people like it, when I'm talking about a movie? We could be a little bit more, um, you know, jaded and stuff about moments like this, you know. But in real life, don't people want to feel good? You know, <laughs> don't people want to be happy for people? Yeah, and they stick the landing on that. It's so. Yeah. 
yeah, it's a, it's a crowd pleasing movie, but the fact that you know it's coming and it still makes you feel good, like that's mm-hmm. actually pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree there. Uh, my final piece kind of, kind of piggybacks right off that moment right there, uh, which it's kind of an obvious one to bring up whenever we talk about dysfunctional families in a movie, but it is Little Miss Sunshine, which kind of is the exact same kind of feeling here of the whole dysfunctional family that sticks together in the end, uh, all leading towards some kind of big uh, talent performance, in that case, a uh, dance where the... uh, you know, dance is awful, but all the all the family comes and uh, makes fools out of themselves with her to make her feel okay. And Little Miss Sunshine here, kind of like what you were just talking about, she's you know up there to do her uh, singing performance, and it's not quite going well. Mr. Bernardo shows up, and all works out in the end, and everybody's happy, and everybody is good. And uh, th- these kind of movies, they are built to uh make people happy and they succeed at doing that and uh i i think it's i don't know why this one always seems to be the one that comes up whenever talking about these kinds of families and movies but it it really does feel like a perfect example of it also a big sundance winner yeah exactly i mean it goes along with the idea of sundance movie is kind of like these little movies that could kind of scenarios so i kind of have a bonus puzzle piece here Okay, let's do it. And I think it's mostly just because of a GIF that's on the internet, but I got a little bit of Forrest Gump. Okay. Just with... I, I, for me, the best scenes are with the fishing community. Sure. And, and I know when they won the Oscar, they actually made a point to thank the Gloucester fishing community. Mm. And there's just something really nice about those scenes like that i just get that vision of tom hanks like waving on the boat Mm -hmm. yeah you know and i i some of my fondest memories of forrest gump i haven't seen in a while but some of my fondest memories are the bubba gump shrimp company scenes nice and i think i get a lot of that from that community and i think it's a big reason why the movie works do you think we're going to see uh, like chain theme restaurants of like uh, fish restaurants with like a Troy Coatser lookalike that shows up and is like farting and smoking weed and stuff like that uh, by your table? Do you think that'll happen one of these days maybe? It'll be a shame if it doesn't. There you go. So uh, our finished puzzle here for Coda includes Minari, The Glass Castle, Ladybird, Sound of Metal, School of Rock, Switched at Birth, Thumbsucker, Whiplash, About a Boy, Little Miss Sunshine, and Forrest Gump. Uh, do you have any other uh, thoughts that you wanted to get to that we didn't quite get to while going through puzzle pieces? Well, I just think it's funny that they take a shot at Glee when those high school choir scenes totally mm. feel like Glee. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was on my uh, my potential overall puzzle piece list here. Uh, it was Glee, um, but I've never actually watched Glee, so I decided not to bring it up. So, <laughs> but yeah, why not take shots? I mean, it's Glee. They could take it, you know. Yeah, let's make fun of Glee <laughs> and then have everyone sing Happy Birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we, we basically covered it. I, I do think, um, you know, as much as, like I said at the top of the show, that, you know, it, it might not even been my first, second, third, fourth, fifth pick for best picture. I mean, I, I think I liked it a lot more the second time. I do think Troy Kotzer is a very deserved win uh, for his supporting actor uh, win. Uh, definitely my favorite part of the movie um, and a, a great performance there. 
Marley Matlin, always good. You know? Yes. Yeah. So, awesome. Uh, Ryan, do you have any other movies you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? No, I had to watch Wild Wild West for another podcast, and I would not recommend that to other oh, listeners. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, not great. But um, I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out to be. It's, it's got its moments, but, you know. It's not very funny for a action comedy. <laughs> no, not very funny. But because uh, I, everyone is so talented in the movie, it's watchable. Yeah. That's one of those movies where the behind the scenes is like as important, if not more important than what actually happens in the movie. It's like, you know, paying attention to all the stories. That's where, that's where it gets really fun. But, right. Uh, yeah. Well, awesome. Ryan, thank you uh, so much for doing the show. Why don't you tell people where they could find uh, you and your podcast? We can be found anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. Um, but if you're interested in following us on social, we're on Twitter at soundtrack underscore your Instagram at soundtrackcast, and soundtrackyourlife.net. If you want to visit our website and if you want to be a guest. Awesome. Well, Ryan, again, thank you so much for uh, joining me here. Thank you for talking me into doing a Coda episode. I think it's uh, <laughs> a, wor a worthwhile episode for us to have done. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to be on the show. I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harrison. We co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best picture, and some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984, and we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about CODA. Thanks to Ryan for joining me on that one. Had a good time talking about CODA, and I'm glad uh, I gave it a second chance. You know, it's not bad. Uh, not my favorite, but definitely not bad. So, uh, yeah, thank you to you uh, for listening to the show. I hope you enjoy what you hear here. Hear here? I hope you enjoy what you hear here. I hope you enjoy what you hear here on the podcast. Tongue twisting myself here. Uh, make sure you're subscribed if you do like what you hear here. Um, you can subscribe, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, all the big ones. There's also, of course, Good Pods. There's Podchaser. Lots of podcast apps. Whichever one you like using hit the subscribe or the follow or any of that. And while you are doing that, you can rate and review us. Five stars would be nice. A little review would be even better. We really appreciate it. And of course, you could also share the show and that's just the best. We really appreciate it when people do that. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And I already told you about the Patreon, but don't forget, Produced by David Rosen. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Lots of great stuff over there. So let's close this out with a piece of music. Ryan was asking me if I had any Marvin Gaye-like music to play at the end. And no, I, I, I was just going through some of my stuff. I don't. Um, but uh, instead, this is a nice little movie, Coda. So I'm going to play a nice little piece of music from a short film called To Cherish the Time. Uh, that I scored a while back for director Chris Johnson. I also released a soundtrack album that compiles the score of a feature film I worked on with Chris Johnson called Beater and all the music from all the short films I worked with him on. Uh, 
to cherish the time being one of those. And this track is called My Love. And uh, again, it is available on the album Beater, which has all this great music that I worked on for various films with Chris Johnson. So check that out. And I hope you enjoy the track. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon. All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.